This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann, and this is episode 1720, Permaculture Magazine North America. Before we begin, I want to let you know that I'm running my summer to fall fundraiser starting a little early this year because I've got a, another round of venom immunotherapy coming up, and rather than doing a separate fundraiser for that, plus my usual annual goal, I'm just kind of bundling them together. So, this year I'm fundraising largely for my health care. The first is that by August 8th, 2017, I'm trying to raise $1,000 so that I can continue my ongoing venom immunotherapy treatment. And raising that money will pay for not only my vial of venom and 13 injections, but also my two annual office visits. Thankfully, this is my fifth and final year of this therapy. And with that particular goal, whoever gives the thousandth dollar, I will send my personal copy of Bill Mollison's Permaculture, a Designer's Manual. My overall goal, which includes that $1,000 for the venom immunotherapy, is to raise $7,000 by October 10th, 2017, the seven-year anniversary of the show and of completing my permaculture design certificate with Susquehanna Permaculture. And for anyone who donates to the overall campaign, you're entered in for a chance to receive a great beginner's permaculture library that I'll continue to expand once we push past that initial goal. The first books that are being included in that are The One Straw Revolution, Thinking in Systems, Earth User's Guide to Permaculture, and Permaculture Principles and Pathways Beyond Sustainability. If we reach the overall fundraising goal by my birthday, September 10th, I'm turning 38, then I'll also include my copies of Edible Forest Gardens, Volumes 1 and 2 by Jackie and Tonesmeyer. If you'd like to find out more about this fundraiser, my overall goals and why I'm doing this, look for the episode titled Returning to the Gift, which was released just before this show, or by going to the link in the show notes for this episode. If you're able to give, you can send something via PayPal to show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or by going to paypal.me slash permaculturepodcast, or by dropping something in the post, The Permaculture Podcast, PO Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. Now then, on to this week's conversation. Hannah Apricot Eckberg, editor of Permaculture Magazine North America, joins me to share her role in the creation and launch of the latest permaculture publication, currently in its second year and about to publish issue six. Along the way, we talk about how permaculture practitioners, especially media producers, be they publishers or podcasters, can engage in some cooperation a friendly form of cooperative competition, and cooperation to strengthen the community and our own individual work. That, as we all come together and do what it is that we do, as we find our own niches, there's room for a lot more of us under this large umbrella of permaculture. Along with that, we also touch on the current state of permaculture and the feedback we're both receiving and what our experiences are hearing from people within the community, both nationally and internationally, and some of the things that we can do to make permaculture more accessible, including an idea that Hannah puts forward about what if we had an organization that was able to raise funds to pay permaculture instructors a regular living wage salary so that they could devote all their time practicing permaculture, which is something that is very familiar to me, having existed in the gift economy for so long with this podcast, that we can do a lot with limited resources. But in order to do so, that we have to move beyond the idea of the nine to five, to take all of these different disparate ways that we've heard about in alternative economics with timeshares and gift circles and 
the great mystery economy and use that so that those people who have already made it out of the system, our communicators, our practitioners, can be making a living doing what they believe in and in doing so to create more opportunities for people to follow them. We can choose to make decisions that encourage our lifestyle while also looking for ways to make a difference. As I was reminded by a note from a Patreon supporter that he probably loses more money each month getting in and out of the car, sitting on the couch at a friend's house than it would take to make a difference for something like the Permaculture Podcast or somebody else doing this work. And in the conversation, I also mentioned my friend Jason Gadeski, who I very often talk about in regards to the fifth world. But as one of my friends, he also continues to push me and ask me whether or not I'm ready to compromise, to give in, to throw in the towel, and not keep doing this full time. And for me, I'm not ready yet. And as long as I can, I'm going to keep making this my primary work. And as I share this with you, Hannah shares this with us and her thoughts on what it's been like to live rather nomadically for the last eight years on very few resources. But as you'll hear, she's been able to do quite a bit. Well, let's go ahead and get started after this long introduction, and I'll join you again afterwards. Hannah, if you could give us your biography and background and how you came to be the editor and publisher of Permaculture Magazine North America, and we can take the conversation from there. Well, start at the very beginning. I grew up on a rural coastal ranch in California, about an hour north of Santa Barbara. And my parents were really pretty much homesteading back then, even though they didn't necessarily call it that, but we were raising most of our food and living off the land as much as we could. And then when I was quite young still, Chevron and other oil companies came in and put a very deadly pipeline through the ranch where I was living and closed our school down to put the processing facility there. My parents were very involved in the struggle against the fight of this pipeline and so that really affected me greatly as a young child seeing my parents battle against some of the largest corporations and the fossil fuel industry and in the end losing and then honestly I went to bed every night not knowing if we'd wake up the pipeline was so deadly and with the risk of an earthquake or a leak or anything it really affected me and so at a very young age, I developed a very intimate connection with nature, but then also seeing the importance to do whatever I could to protect it and to protect the health and well-being of people in the area. So as I became older, even as I was a teenager, I was very active. At the age of 19, I became president of what's recognized as America's oldest grassroots environmental action organization in the country. It was called Get Oil Out. And so at the time, we, we would fight to stop oil development, but really what I brought in is we've got to be educating people around the solutions. And so we really worked on renewable energy. Industrial hemp was a big passion of mine. And at the same time, I discovered permaculture, which I really just see as a system of solutions. And here 
light all of the answers that we're looking for just in reframing the way we look at life and look at the connections of how life operates. And so thanks to Margie Bushman and Wes Rowe of Santa Barbara Permaculture Network, they brought in some of the leading permaculture experts from around the world for many different workshops and lecture series and continue to do so today. It's a really big asset to the permaculture movement. And so I've been involved with that and always, again, since I was a young girl, had this calling to want to use media to educate people about their connections to the environment and inspire them to take action. And so I have meandered quite a bit throughout my 40 years and always holding permaculture at the core of my driving passion. And about two years ago, I was working on getting a podcast going myself to interview all these amazing people that I know that are just doing mind-blowing projects around the world as an avenue to share and inspire others. And I was at Permaculture Voices 2, where I had the honor of meeting Maddie and Tim Harland, who were over from the UK. Maddie was uh, the keynote speaker, one of the keynote speakers at that event. And we became instant friends, and they offered to host my podcast when I got it up and running. And then that fall, I went to England for the International Permaculture Convergence. I'd been to the previous one in Cuba and was able to attend that one in England. And hanging out with Maddie and Tim after a few nights, they asked if myself and Cassie Langstrat would be interested in starting the North American version of their magazine. They've been looking for somebody for a number of years, and having met both of us at Permaculture Voices too, they felt that we would be a good team. Luckily, we had become friends in that time, and we agreed and moved forward. And ever since then, it's been an amazing ride and dedication, a labor of love, but... We're willing to put in the hard work to to really get these messages out to as many people as we can. So, yeah, that's a long story in a big nutshell. <laughs> well, I appreciate the road that you took us on because you've answered many of the questions that I had because I've been familiar with Tim and Maddie's work for a long time. You know, I think their magazine was the first permaculture magazine that I ever found on a bookstore shelf. I think it was a Borders several years ago that I saw it. And then... Not too long afterwards was when I ran into Permaculture Activist Magazine and continued to follow both of those publications for years. When I saw that Permaculture Magazine North America was coming out, I was really excited about it, that we would get our own version of this wonderful, high-quality magazine that fills, a, I think, a different role and a different niche compared to Permaculture Activist, now Permaculture Design. Exactly. And that's our intention. And with that in mind, how do you see the space and role of Permaculture magazine North America compared to this long-standing American publication in Permaculture Design Magazine? The Permaculture Activist and now the Permaculture Design Magazine to me has always been a real asset for people who are real permaculture designers, who are ingrained in it either as a passion and way of life 
or as a profession. And this is a great avenue for long, detailed stories to really go in depth, to really share people's knowledge to so that others can incorporate that into their lives more. We're trying to fill a little bit more of a broader niche and really try to welcome people into the permaculture movement who maybe have never even heard about it. And so our logo, or our tagline rather, is Practical Solutions Beyond Sustainability. And so we want to be offering the mothers who are shopping at Whole Foods that are looking for more ways to be ecologically responsible in their lives, what are some really easy little tidbits that they can incorporate into their life? They maybe can't have a full-on permaculture garden and be living off the land completely, but they can be taking lots of little steps towards being more sustainable and towards just incorporating permaculture ethics and principles into their daily life. And so that's a main target audience for us, just trying to welcome in people who are looking for these avenues, but while also still providing content for the professional permaculturist. And so my stories in each issue really span a gamut of information levels. So both for the novice just coming to it, as well as somebody who's been practicing for a long time to hopefully depthen their knowledge. And so we, we have the intention of just trying to get out there and invite people along on this permaculture train because we really think it's a good one that everybody should be on. And we feel it's important that there's at least two magazines covering these topics. I'd love to walk into a store and have there be a whole rack of different permaculture magazines just to really show that, yes, people are interested. They do want this knowledge, and it's out there. There's so many stories to share that it's really limitless. And it's one of the things you've mentioned, permaculture voices, and Diego Footer and I have been in touch with each other over the years, and it's one of the conversations that we have is there's so much room and so much space for permaculture practitioners to be emerging into the media marketplace. And he coined this term that I really like, or at least it was the first place that I had heard it, of cooperation, that even though we're in some ways in the same media space, by being there together, we can help to influence and push each other into the niches that we're really well developed for. Like he's really run with the idea of permaculture as a business practice, of creating, you know, large sustainable farms and other things like that. Whereas I've been focusing more on like social and economic permaculture. And we have folks like Jack Spierko at the Survival Podcast who talks more about like homesteading and preparing for the life that you want to live. And I'm just, it's amazing to me to see all of these different conversations and voices emerge and all of us have room to not only share, but also to learn with each other along the way. Exactly. You know, and that's one of the benefits of media and how it has evolved so much to be decentralized. You don't have to be on a radio station or a TV station anymore to be able to access viewership and an audience. It was what I looked at as my senior thesis, comparing progressive media with traditional media, and that was right when YouTube was just starting, you know, and so to see where we've come in the last 15 years, 
has really been amazing. And so it, it gives me hope that people like us can really have their voices heard by those who want to find it. And I believe that the more we can work together to get each other's names out there, the better it is. And so, yeah, the cooperation, I think, is a really important concept. And I like this niche that you're working to fill with Permaculture Magazine North America to reach folks who may not have heard of this or who are just getting started as opposed to the long-term professional. Because I know sometimes having been involved in the permaculture community, I mean, not even a decade, but seven, eight years now, that there are so many things that I just take for granted as being a part of this community and knowing so many people that there are connections that I might not necessarily make as someone who is new to permaculture or these ideas of long-term regeneration and moving beyond these ideas of sustainability. It's really tricky because especially as I edit an article, I'm like, well, gosh, do I have to stop and define every word? I mean, people may not get these concepts and, and there is a lot of specialized lingo, but I hope that if they are more curious, it will give them an invitation to dive deeper. There's now so many wonderful resources like Andrew Millison's. Now they're um, releasing through Oregon State University their free permaculture course online as an intro. There's so many books. We work closely with Chelsea Green and New Society and various other book publishers and, of course, permanent publications, which Maddie and Tim run out of England. There is just such a wealth of knowledge coming out that it, it really frustrates me that as a world, we're in the social, economic, and environmental upheaval and bordering absolute catastrophe when permaculture has all these solutions at our fingertips you know it's like come on so yeah it is a fun role trying to reach the masses as best we can while still being a platform and an avenue for the people who are already in the trenches and does that kind of avenue determine the articles and authors that you're looking to submit to each issue? Does that kind of form the theme that you have around what you're doing? Yeah, certainly to some degree. I mean, I, I as articles come in or as I approach people either to write articles themselves or ask for an interview, I'm always trying to think about kind of this big family again, both from the novice to the ingrained expert. And so what can I at least have a few articles that will reach each of them in each issue? We don't do specific themes to each issue. We find it's easier that way just to be open, to see what articles get submitted to have more of a range of topics so that maybe somebody isn't interested in making a business out of permaculture, but they want to learn how to make some artisanal cheese. And so we'll have that article in there for them. And speaking of businesses, I also really try to, each issue, have at least one business that is applying permaculture ethics to their business, and even if they are not specifically a permaculture business, to just show how 
these principles and way of thinking can be applied to all aspects of our life and especially business. I believe that is the key of how we can really change the course that we're on as a global planet. There are two things that stand out from what you said, and I'd like to follow up with you on the business side of things, as that's one of those pieces. But the first that I'd like to ask you about is that conversation about not only cooperating, but also this diversity of information that's coming out. One piece of that is that I find that the cooperation is something that as much as we've talked about it within the permaculture community as like part of our ethics and ideals, that it's only been in the last five or six years that I've really started to see a lot of conversation about that. And that seems to almost be like a, I feel like it's almost like a millennial movement of new permaculture practitioners that there's not as much gatekeeping going on or like protecting of territory, if you will. But with that also in this kind of explosion, do you think in some ways that as permaculture comes to the forefront, that there's some dilution of the availability of events and workshops and the ability to find participants for them. And I just ask that because I'm wondering about the place that you find yourself in as the editor of this magazine. One of the observations that I've made is I know that there are folks who are trying to fill permaculture design courses, launch some convergences and other professional conferences and workshops, and they're not getting the same response now as they did even just a year or two ago. Yeah, it's a um, nice big can of worms you just opened there, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my mind is going in, in a lot of directions because there's so many facets to that conversation. First, to kind of backtrack a little, and yeah, it is, I think, with this millennial generation coming up, and permaculture is so perfect for them that it's really a great fit, and so I love to see that generation really adopting it. And we're, we're also really seeing, because you can learn so much about it on YouTube and through other avenues, through all these books, that people are kind of having this feeling, well, geez, do I really need to do a PDC anymore? I can get the basic information online for free, and just watch these videos and do it in my backyard and feel like I'm an expert. And there's a lot of concerns that rise from that. And there's also new teachers that are coming out that kind of mold their curriculum more to their interests. And so rather than the very detailed overview of the traditional permaculture design course structure, bits are getting left out and so with each subsequent generation of students you know little pieces fall off that are actually really important to the big picture and so to me what permaculture offers is a way to intelligently connect all the dots and so you can know a lot about homesteading a lot about rainwater catchment a lot about this and that different technique but doing the PDC and really getting the whole overview, to me, is what kind of gives you the order to connect the dots. So that if you remember like a connect the dot photo for, or a drawing from back when you were young, you could randomly connect all those dots and just have something going on and have them all connected. But unless you connect them in order 
and really make the direct associations, your picture is not going to be as pretty. And so that's why I, I really feel that it is still very important for people to take the full course, to get the big picture, and then they can distill and learn about more of the specifics that they want to emphasize. So rounding back to your question of enrollment and participation in the courses, yes, I have seen a decline, and I'm really trying to get a good pulse of the movement to see where are we as this unorganized, unorthodox social movement that's happening without really any direct leaders, without being a cohesive movement still, you know. And so I've had different education centers that are some of the leaders in North America coming to me and saying, well, this is the first time we've ever not had a waiting list for our courses. This is the first time we've ever had to advertise. And so I, I think that there's several reasons for it. First, you know, the general people who can take off two to three weeks and pay an average of $1,300 for a PDC course, you know, that, that's very difficult in a lot of people's lives. And so that general overview of people who can do that, maybe with that general early adopters have always already kind of been saturated. So we've got a lot of those people already. And then, again, people thinking they don't need to do the course, just doing it on their own. And now there's so many more options. And so it, it's fabulous. And people, you know, would love to go to Hawaii or Costa Rica or somewhere exotic and do their course there. But then they go back to the arid Midwest and try to apply it. And if you're doing the full course, you get all of the different climate zones and so you would, could still apply everything very well but you know it's also looking to see what courses are being offered locally in your region and support those teachers and it's I think growing pains of the movement that we're kind of in this little funny flex on the bell curve of adopters to something where we've we've got the early adopters now we kind of need that next wave of new people, but also to see, okay, well, how many courses, how many convergences, how many, and also, when are we duplicating events on the same day? You know, there, there's several gatherings coming up this summer that I want to be at multiple events, but I can't on the same weekend, and so it's, I think it's both a pro and a con that there's so many options out there and that's really also kind of a symptom of our society and again with how media has evolved that you can find so much out there but then it also kind of becomes paralysis through too many options and so it's another reason that I'd really like to see us come together more as a movement to be more cohesive. We're trying to get a calendar up on our website just to make it real easy to take a quick look before you schedule a PDC, see which other ones are happening at that same time throughout North America. So you at least know who you're competing with. And 
just the more we can come together and help support each other and invite more people in to get this education, as well as offering it in different formats. I think it's really useful when areas will do like maybe one weekend a month over several months. And then people can work it into their busy work and parenting and everything else that they have going on and also have time to digest the immense knowledge that's coming their way all at once. It is quite a bit of a knowledge dump when you take a PDC or even a one-day workshop, the amount of knowledge that someone can impress upon you in a short amount of time. Yeah, we like to use the analogy that it's like drinking out of the fire hose. It's like, well, (laughs) is that really the best way to learn? And so that's why it's also nice as, you know, I'm extremely dyslexic. And so having different ways to grasp the knowledge for myself really helps. And I know that a lot of other people, they learn in different styles. And that's why it's also wonderful having different teachers. So maybe, you know, you want to um, do something with somebody who's more of a storyteller, like Warren Brush. Maybe you learn more through stories, or maybe you're more analytical, and so you want somebody who's giving you more of the numbers and the statistics, and so that's also another bonus to having so many options out there. You just got to spend the time to find the right fit. And that's a lot of what I work with when people contact me saying, hey, I'd like to take a PDC. Who should I go to? There's a dialogue about, you know, what are you like? What do you do currently? And then try to find a good fit. And in some cases, if there's somebody who's analytical, maybe I send them to the analytical person. But I remember one person who's very much like that, and I suggested that they go to a class with some folks who weren't analytical because I thought they would get more out of it, that it wouldn't feed like a confirmation bias, which is really fascinating to be kind of a part of that and to know all the folks who are doing this to be able to send people in those kinds of directions. And so I'm curious, I'd like to throw the question back to you. Do you kind of agree with my observation that enrollments are kind of down and that there's a lot happening out there? What What's your pulse of the movement? I do take it that there's a lot going on and there are kinds of two sides of it for me on one where in some ways I feel that the movement is kind of stagnating because it is still very rich white and middle class and so permaculture is not actually accessible to the communities who are asking for teachers to come into them. I know that I've experienced that here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that many of the instructors who want to come in, you know, because of whatever their needs are, are asking $1,200 or more per student, and it's just not financially possible. The other piece that I find is that there are a lot more events that are going on that are not necessarily permaculture events, but they're related. So you might have a sustainable agriculture conference the same weekend as a music festival that's very, you know, green oriented. And so people are dividing their times between those and deciding whether or not a permaculture convergence or professional workshop is something for them. The other that I think is that the permaculture community is also kind of divided into different tiers of who knows who. So... We have organizations like Pine and Pina, which I'm really happy that we have. And then Scott Pittman and his organization. And so we have these different regional organizations that are all kind of connected. But many of them have been doing this work for many, many decades at this point. But then we have students who are three or four generations removed from them who don't know who some of these elders are, who some of the folks were who laid the ground before them. And it's a conversation that we had at the Pennsylvania Permaculture Convergence in the beginning of June was the state of permaculture in Pennsylvania and the world. And one of the things that came up is we know 
for certain that there are at least a thousand people in Pennsylvania who have taken a permaculture design course through individual instructors and other conversations we've had. And I myself is kind of in this centralized hub through the show. I probably only talk to maybe 10 or 15 of those people with any regularity and only know directly maybe 25 or 30 of them. And it's one of the things that we're working on is to do some in-person networking so that we can, you know, get a get an email list of who are the folks in Pennsylvania who are currently active and get to be able to put names and faces together so that then when we are looking for guest instructors or if we're going to put on a course, we can reach out and say, hey, I'm looking to do it this particular weekend. You know, is there anybody who wants to come or is this going to be stepping on anybody's toes? Do you know of any regional events that we might be running up against so that we can really start communicating and working together more? Exactly. You know, I'm always surprised at how much time permaculturists spend on Facebook. Kind of like, come on, you guys, get out into the garden. You're on the computer all day. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really a great networking tool. And so I don't know if you have even just like a regional Facebook group to try. And that, that doesn't reach everybody, of course, but it's, it is another tool that I think is helping in the movement to at least know what what people are doing and, and that's another hopefully by the next time we do an interview I'll, I'll have a big announcement of a better networking software that we're playing with to to make it more accessible for everybody to see who's doing what where and who they want to do intentional networking with and really start connecting these dots amongst ourselves well i think also though on the the social media side of things and facebook is there's this classic idea that Bill Mollison puts in the designer's manual about the academic fallacy, I think, therefore I do, I believe it is. I apologize if anybody knows that quote, and I'm misparaphrasing. But I also feel that that's some of what's going on with our ability to use social media and other things to kind of like stay in touch, that it, it fills this role and makes us feel like we're really sharing and spending time with each other when all it really does is kind of allows us to check that box off without really being able to do anything that we feel like we're interacting when really all we're doing is observing what's going on. Exactly. We're still sitting in our silos. We're just sort of like have a little string connecting to them so we can talk to each other. And, and that's why I think the importance of these convergences and even PDCs and all of this to come together and learn together and get our hands in the soil together those are the bonds that we need as humans and especially these days as so many people are just getting totally distraught by the state of the world and especially seeing so many environmental laws that we care about and have worked so hard to get into laws just being dissolved by the current administration and so how can we come together as people to resist this? And to me, I mean, that's that's what gets me out of bed early every morning to get to work it is that passion of, hey, we've got these solutions. And I hope that the world can hear them and adopt them in time to make a difference. So if you don't mind, I want to kind of touch on some of the points you just made, looking at permaculture as a rich white movement or you know accessible to the rich whites only that's really really a stereotype that we're hoping to dissolve 
and not make it feel like that for anybody. And in our fall issue, we have a number of interviews with people who are really doing amazing work with some what you might call underprivileged or underrepresented or just different ethnic and historical backgrounds to bring permaculture to these people to help them find both the richness that comes to their own lives from working in a garden, the nutritional benefits of eating good food, the camaraderie and the sense of purpose that they gain. And so it it actually sort of offends me when people say that because it's like, no, there's actually really a lot going on. It's just they maybe don't have the money to show up at our convergences or our PDCs, but there's so much happening out there. And so I really want to give respect and, and let folks know that while it might look like that on the surface, this is a movement that people of all backgrounds are involved with and especially like looking at a global scale I get Facebook chats from people in Africa every day that are doing amazing projects to feed their people and you know we were really looking to try to expand our Latin American I don't want to say influence but more platform to be a resource of information and We're going to soon have a bilingual section up on our website so that people can be sharing their stories and their knowledge and just really expanding it in as many areas as possible and helping to rise up the people that are often not heard of in the movement because it's also quite often if you excuse me, the white males that have the large, the loudest voices, and so that's who we hear the most, and that's who we think permaculture is. But it's really the humble people behind the scenes that are just doing it as a means to help their people and to survive and to regain confidence and, and yeah, that sense of purpose that, that comes along from it. And, and so... I'm really looking forward to sharing a whole variety of these stories of how permaculture is both a social movement as well as environmental and providing sources of economic gain for people. And so, you know, I hope that in our, as media people, that we can help to change that profiling of permaculture to to give more voices to the people who are doing it, no matter what the color of their skin, no matter if they're male or female, but just to really spotlight the people that are out there doing it. And, and I think if we start to push aside and, and really dive into it, we'll, we'll see so many amazing stories surfacing. And just a, another thought that, I've also been wanting to see happen for a long time is what if there was like an organization that we can make donations towards that then paid permaculture teachers a living wage salary so that their job was just to go around to these different places and offer the teachings for free so that they know they're going to get their set salary each month but yet they're able to offer to the people who need this information the most, but can't pay the $1,300. There's so many creative avenues that we could be applying the permaculture principles to 
if we came together and worked together, that we could solve all of these little problems that are holding us back. And so I really hope that we'll also see that evolution in the movement over the next few years. Well, thank you for taking that bit of feedback and hyperbole that I continually receive from folks, even as we're finding people of all stripes who are doing this work and sharing that information, that that perception is still there and running with it and sharing what you're seeing and finding. And I'm delighted to hear that you're working on a bilingual section. It's I've had some folks approach me over the years who have wanted to translate some of the interviews and other pieces into other languages, but the amount of work that that requires and the staff to do so. So I'm really delighted to hear that you'll be moving in that direction. Yeah, we're working on it. It's hard with, essentially, there's really just two of us and then our fabulous graphic designer and a few people that come on to help with proofreading and stuff. So it's it's a lot, but that is really one of my priorities to get that up. And we're going to be working with Gaia University and their um, Latin American students to try to get that up as soon as we can. When I was in Cuba last year doing a permaculture and holistic healing tour, I was just so impressed with how much the people there just want to share their knowledge. So if, if they went and did a training and they came back and they saw that their neighbor could benefit from some of the information, they would share it. Where I feel like a lot of people in America maybe get afraid of competition and so don't want to share any knowledge that might help pull others forward. But I really think as a movement, we need to see this, you know, let's rise the tide so that all boats come up to a better level. (laughs) Well, I'm really glad to hear it because I know from my years in the spaces that I've been through that sometimes it can be disheartening because of the gatekeeping that occurs. And I understand the, you know, the rational self-interest, because if this is your job and this is what you do for a living, you've been doing it for a long time, it can feel very competitive and as if someone is taking something away from you to have them fill that space. But I was wondering if I could go ahead and use that kind of idea, that thought, to talk a little bit more about where you see us being able to go with permaculture and business, as well as permaculture as a business. I know that there's been some pushback in the community over capitalism and money when it comes to permaculture, but also about wanting to be entrepreneurs and be able to make a living doing this. Yeah. Well, let's start, I think, a little broader then. I think that conscious businesses and regenerative businesses as I mentioned this is the key really to I think the the world's survival the social and environmental impacts that come from business as usual have gotten us into the messes that we're in now so let's use business to heal it and I really encourage people to check out Conscious Company magazine and get inspired by the companies who are putting their ethics first. And then as far as making a living off of permaculture, how else are we going to do this? How else are we going to move forward if we're not able to feed our family, if we're not able to make the payments on the farm? You know, as much as... I would love to move away from the capitalist society that we are living in and that has, again, created so many of these environmental and social problems. We have to be part of it in order to help evolve it, I feel. And so I personally have been a person that has always put my passion for the environment 
before thinking of how it's going to affect my pocketbook. And I have managed to live off very little money, for better or worse. It's, it's really kept me from being able to do a lot of the things I would like to do because I just don't have the money for it. But for me, it's, it's the long-term goals that are more important. But I would love it, you know, if more people were thriving economically, then they're able to give back more and share more of the abundance if they have some. It just creates a big win-win. And really, why would millennials or people that are older who are looking for new careers, a new pathway in their life, you know, if they think that they can make a good living off of doing permaculture, off of doing something good for the planet, well, that's going to get a lot more people involved than thinking, oh, I still have to work my nine to five to barely make ends meet. Maybe I'll have some time on the weekend to go play in the garden. Well, that that's just not going to see the change that the planet needs. And so looking at eight forms of capital and spiritual capitalism, Lynn Twist was a speaker at the Conscious Company Business Forum recently. You know, her book, The Soul of Money, is so inspiring as other ways to look at money and developing a new relationship. And so anybody who thinks it's a sin to make money off permaculture, I really encourage them to look at these different thought patterns of how we interact with the economic system and how we can change it from the inside out. There's so many different avenues, if it's local currencies, if it's just, you know, yeah, create a thriving regenerative business and then be able to help out others, be able to hire more people, be able to really grow your business from an ethical standpoint so that more businesses will follow. And that's what I see as the key. A conversation I had this weekend with my good friend Jason Gadeski, who's a, a game developer and also a software engineer. One of the things that he brings up very often is about compromise. And I've been living in the gift economy for the last seven years and living also with very little economically, but still able to accomplish a great deal. And one of the questions that he always asks me is whether or not I'm ready to compromise, to go back to this old model or whether I want to continue working in the realm that I'm in and finding new and creative solutions. And I can't say that it's always easy. There are certainly some times where I, I look around and I go, okay, is this really the best space for me and my family and everything? But I keep coming back to, yeah, right now it is. And, you know, this is a model that shows that there are other ways that we can do this beyond the standard nine to five. And even within the media realm of producing the podcasts and finding sponsors and things like that, the way that sponsorships are valued, that I can also do all kinds of work trades with people and all of these other ways that we can creatively respond to creating the world that we want to live in. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. But it's, you know, especially people like myself who went down the path of student loans, unfortunately, and, you know, other means that have tied us to the system. Well, we, we need to dig our way out of these holes and do that, hopefully, 
by making a living doing what we believe in. And that's why I really enjoy interviewing different companies and pretty much each issue. Again, I try to spotlight them. And, and next issue, our fall issue, those are, are, no, it will be our winter issue now. I, I work so many months ahead. <laughs> working on a couple issues at a time here in my mind. So look in our winter issue for interviews with several different companies that are really making a difference, both at the global climate change issues down to supporting local people in their communities. And yeah, I'm all about marrying responsible businesses with cutting out spending money where we don't need to. And, you know, then getting creative as a massage therapist I love doing trades you know I I have as many skill sets as I can that I can just trade along the way and personally I've been nomadic for over eight years now and so it's how can you be creative yet still take care of yourself and in our um, summer issue that's out right now we have an article on how to be a frugal hedonist. And so it's, you know, a fun way of looking at, well, I don't have to go out to a bar and spend a lot of money and do stuff that's not necessarily great for my body. How can I be creative and maybe have friends over and we make soap products out of things we harvested from the garden? Or I'm just going to soak in the sun and Pretend that I paid $10 to sit here and get the sun on my body for 10 minutes. And, oh, my God, it feels so good. And, oh, look, I didn't spend any money, but, man, I feel great now. And for folks who have heard my interview with Annie Racer Roland, you should check out that issue and read that for a different perspective on the art of frugal hedonism. Yeah, Annie's great. And it's so fun to get these different approaches and things that are maybe obvious, but we don't think about them or we don't take the time in our busy lives. And I think that's it. The more that we can include different economic systems and beliefs into our way of being, the happier we are. And that's a lot of the work Annie talks about. So it's fun to share her stories. Well, I love the places that we've gone today, Hannah. And before we draw this to a close, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Um, oh, gosh, so many. <laughs> How can I just distill them down? Well, I, I definitely want to invite your listeners to learn more about us, to visit our website, permaculturemag.org. We have lots of free information up there, recipes, book reviews, articles, both some articles that are in the print magazine as well as ones that are just on the website. And we have subscription information there. If I could, you know, not to, not to be a commercial, but just to let people know the resources that we are making available for those who do choose to subscribe for our print subscription, for this next year, we are offering the 25-year digital archive of our mother magazine out of the UK as a free bonus. We just really want to get this wealth of knowledge out to people. And so anybody who wants to learn more about permaculture getting 25 years of this amazing magazine that Maddie and Tim have worked so hard to do is really 
the best way that we figured we could do it as we start to build up our archive here from North America. And so on our website, there's information about that. And I know that also we were doing a discount code for your listeners. And so if I could uh, let folks know about that, if they go to our website and sign up for our digital subscription to enter the code PMNATPP25, that <laughs> will get you 20, and, and you can put that link up on the website. <laughs> That can get listeners 25% off, but I know that we were also doing a um, added bonus for those who donate to your podcast, which I'd really like to encourage people to do to keep this wonderful avenue of permaculture knowledge flowing. And so to uh, contribute. Yeah, I'll go ahead and include that in my closing notes and let folks know those full details. And one question I have is anyone who has an article they would like to have considered for inclusion in your magazine, is that something that they can email you about or is there a submission form on the website? Yes and yes. (laughs) Thank you. That's just where I wanted to go. So yes, if people have topics that they would like to share, please email me at submissions at permaculturemag.org. Or you can also send any inquiries or information or thoughts that you'd like to bounce back and forth to me directly at hannah at permaculturemag.org. And that's H-A-N-N-A-H, permaculturemag.org. And um, also at the bottom of our website, if people scroll all the way down below, there's a little section that says support our work and there's a button says advertise if you have your own permaculture or conscious business or classified listing or something that you would like promoted or event coming up click on the advertise button and that can give you the information for that and right below there there's a button that says submissions and that goes into more details of the articles that we are looking for and uh, yes we're here to be a platform for people's voices, for their work, for helping connect them to others who are interested in knowing what they're up to. And so I just um, really hope people take advantage of that and become part of our community. That's what we're really hoping to be. And so I'm glad that we're going to collaborate more with you and the Permaculture Podcast and help reach more folks with the good information that's out there. And I do want to say that with everything we've talked about today regarding cooperation and that we both agree on this, that we are working together to promote one another's work and continue to move these conversations forward for folks starting with the summer issue here in 2017 that you'll see an advertisement for the Permaculture Podcast in there and that you'll be hearing some more promotion about Permaculture Magazine North America, some of the articles that will be coming out what the new issues are when they are released so that you can always find this information and continue to connect to the resources that matter to you and to the community. Exactly. And also a real easy to find a link from our website to your website. So we're really looking forward to, I I see it as doing a dance. Got to all come together and dance together and help each other out and invite more people 
to the party. I'd really like to thank you, Hannah, for joining me today and being a part of this conversation and being a part of the permaculture community as well and moving this forward because it is having watched how much the community has changed over the last few years to be a part of such a cooperative, supportive part of this community and to be here for so many people, whether they're new to this idea and looking for not only interesting projects and land-based practices and beginning information through your magazine and the work that you're doing with just the phenomenal website that you have, but as well as being in a place where we can share information for all of these archives that I've developed over the years that dig into this deep professional practice that moves beyond the landscape into social and economic permaculture and being able to continue this uh, relationship through the future. So thank you for that and for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. And that was Hannah Apricot Eckberg, co-editor of Permaculture Magazine North America. You can find out more about her and her work at permaculturemag.org. After my introduction to this conversation and what you heard Hannah and I talk about, what are your thoughts on all of this? What do you see as the current state of permaculture? What are your personal lived experiences as a permaculture practitioner? I know that some of you are living in the gift. What's that experience like? What kind of transparency does your life require in order to do this? Are you asking friends and family, or do you have a network of people who you rely on? For someone who listens to this podcast, what do you like about this show? What's something that I can do to improve it? Do you subscribe to Permaculture Magazine North America? If so, what are some of your favorite features and articles? What do you like about the magazine? And if you are interested in Permaculture Magazine North America, as Hannah and I spoke about, there are discount codes available. Every listener is eligible for a 25% discount on a digital subscription by using the discount code PMNA25TPP. And Patreon supporters... At the $11 or more level, I have a discount code for you, which I will post separately. But yeah, I'd just like to know your thoughts on all of this. I think that Hannah and I covered a broad range of ideas and topics within this idea of permaculture and media and living in a truly, in a different way, in a way that is intentional and speaks to what it is that calls us. As always, you can leave a comment. You can do that at thepermaculturepodcast.com, and also feel free to send me a note or a message, or give me a call, 717-827-6266, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or drop something in the post, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here, the next full episode is going to be my interview with David Holmgren, Revising Permaculture. That will be out on July 30th. So until the next time, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.